The Free For All Roundtable. Round one. On round one, we say good morning to Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate Association. Laura Babcock is the host of The O Show and has a company called Power Group Communications. Mark Warner is an international trade lawyer. So, good morning, everybody, and why don't we start with Hamilton, since the uh, person I call Ms. Hamilton from time to time is here. Um, how do you end up pouring raw sewage into the lake for, what is it, 26 years without anybody noticing? Uh, because Hamilton, I mean, they dumped 24 billion liters of mixed sewage into our world biosphere. And we found out about it years afterwards after a big cover up, which is one of the reasons why we dumped a historic number of our councillors back on October 22nd. Listen, this is a case where I guess they were starting to get better at reviewing water and noticed there was something weird on a videotape from 2013, went and checked it out. And now they're saying some consultant put a hole in the pipe thinking it was some sort of overflow pipe, um, you know, to, I guess, alleviate the pressure on the pipe, not realizing that it was, in fact, sewage from 50 homes. I mean, the only good news out of this story is that this time around, the mayor, and this, it's Andrew Horvath, ran out and did a press conference as opposed to last time where they tried to hide it from the public, and it and it finally broke out in that huge scandal called Sewergate. So there's a little bit of improvement there, uh, and the new councillors are saying that they are going to look at the budget process in January and see if we can actually get good at taking care of our water and funding what we need to do. So yeah, it's another huge embarrassment, another big stink on Hamilton. Uh, and it just goes to show, it just goes to, yeah, and it's, it's disgusting and it's dangerous. And it just goes to show how poorly the city has been managed. And I'm at least glad that we're hearing about it this time and we're not being, you know, betrayed on top of being potentially poisoned or whatever from this terrible effluent. And Mark Warner, I guess it just suggests that uh, the, the actual water quality, they say this doesn't, does not interfere with the drink water, but the actual water on the waterfront must be pretty awful if you can't detect the fact that 50 houses are, been, are dumping their sewage into it. Yeah, I think that's right, John. I mean, when I, when I saw this article, it reminded me that, um, I mean, this is a lot more common than I think people think. We, we, it's one of these things we make lots of assumptions about Canada. We don't think about it every day, but just quickly pulled up something here that almost 900 billion liters of raw sewage have been pumped into the Canadian waterways since 2013. That's a 2020 report. So this is something, you know, it happens in Montreal from time to time and other places. So, I mean, I feel sorry for the people living in Hamilton, uh, but there, we are dealing with an aging sewer system. And um, I think some of that's being replaced, some of that's being dealt with, but um, there is, I think the, so far the real question is, what's the, is there an effect on safety? And I think the, the sort of view is, um, to human to human health in there that there really isn't from 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 this, but um, it's quite common to put it about. about, about okay, it. well, the incidents that Mark is talking about, Tim Hudak, one of them was uh, bypass work that was being done in Montreal, so they had a planned dump. Um, other incidents will include here in Toronto, for example, if we get a down blast in the middle of summer, then uh, our sewer system can't accommodate it, and the catch basins release into the lake. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the reality of the systems. And I guess you could overbuild um, to try to compensate for those occasions. And I'm sure we get better at that uh, over time. 
Um, but, you know, back to Hamilton, I, I do appreciate the way that Mayor Horvath is approaching this, as opposed to having her engineering department do it or, you know, whoever's in charge of, of water and sewage that may not look as deeply into who was looking the other way. She's using the auditor. So it tells me she's taking this seriously. It's going to be a painstaking approach each step along the way to see why this fell down and remained undetected. I think it's a good first move by her as Hamilton's new mayor. Let's move to the inquiry in Ottawa where they're evaluating, well, they, a judge will evaluate whether or not the feds properly use the Emergencies Act. Um, Let's start with the drama and then move to the contentions. But the drama yesterday involved one of the lawyers who's actually working on behalf of the convoy protesters getting into an argument with a judge. No, I know you've directed you wanted the application. I'm speaking. Yes, sir. Um, The application, if you want to do it, you've been advised it's to be done in writing, not in the middle of the presentation. Sir, we filed two motions in writing at your direction that you've refused to rule on with respect to the redaction of documents from the government of Canada. You're speaking. That has not been ruled on and have been filed for days. I will take a break while uh, you're asked to leave. I will return in five minutes if uh, security could deal with the council. Okay, Mark, you're a lawyer. Uh, How ill-advised is it to argue with a judge? Well, it depends. I mean, I I, I read this and I listened to your little clip there for the first time. And so, um, you know, I didn't think what his request was, was that that unreasonable. Um, and I didn't think that his tone was objectionable. So, you know, we've talked about this before, John, I'm not a huge fan of this judge who they've appointed as the commissioner or the terms of reference have been given. I mean, I, I mean, even by the standards of the Canadian legal profession and the Canadian judicial system, if that's what gets you expelled from a court, then I, I just don't know about, uh, or from a court type proceeding, then I, I think we've got uh, lots of problems on our hands, but I wasn't there. I didn't see the whole thing, but the bit of it that I've seen. I, I do think there are questions about the, the kind of test, the cross-examination he wants to give, the kind of witnesses he wants to get added, and he's the dissatisfaction at the judge's inability to rule on some of his requests. And that seems like the sorts of things that lawyers would uh, would raise normally in the course of uh, doing their work. Yeah, but I've spent time in courtrooms uh, years ago when I covered cases for radio in Montreal, and I would see somebody get into a clash with a judge, but they knew when to back off, and this guy just kept on talking. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't there, so I'm, I'm handicapped. I just listening to it. I didn't find his tone objectionable. I thought the point that he was raising wasn't really answered by the judge, and there does seem to be a number of outstanding requests that the judge has not responded to. The commissioner's not responded to. Look, I, I, I you know, I, I think there are all sorts of other people who could have been appointed as commissioner, who would have a little more credibility than someone who was such an active supporter of the Liberal Party. We are, we do have judges you can choose from in Canada, who have a little bit more arm's length uh, connection to a governing party and something quite that contentious. So, uh, I, you know, that's, that's about all I can say, I guess. Let's move to the testimony yesterday. It was a second day for a cabinet minister, this time Marco Mendocino, and he was arguing that they were justified. Obviously, they're going to argue that. They're the people who made the choice um, because of the intimations that things could move to violence. And I was worried, as I said earlier, that it was the, um, the function of some uh, counter-operational... Uh, 
advice that was being uh, provided to uh, the, uh, the the blockade in the occupation, and it was in addition to police officers, it was public figures, um, and we've heard many reports about serious criminal violent threats, including uh, death threats. I received a death threat. My family received a death threat uh, throughout the um, throughout the the convoy. Um, it was members of the press who were trying to report on uh, the facts that were occurring on the ground. There were many, many, I think, efforts to try to crowd out legitimate law enforcement. Okay, Laura Babcock, I'll turn to you. And as I mentioned in setting all this up, obviously a liberal cabinet minister is going to make a very persuasive case for why they implemented the act because they need to defend it. Sure, but I think we have to take a step back on this as we're listening to all this internecine fighting and all the Keystone cop stuff going on. We were afraid as a country as we watched this thing spiraling, as we started to hear about weapons cache in the Alberta protests on the borders. We started to hear about the potential blockades of the international trade as the U.S. started to get involved, as the world was paying attention. I mean, this was not just about bouncy castles in Ottawa and honking horns. This was getting bigger. Uh, There were elements of it that were scary. There was legitimate concerns about violence, about police facing violence if they tried to move the trucks, particularly in Alberta. And so when I listened to that, I thought, yeah, you know, uh, he felt it was a point where it was significant for him and his thinking about what was going on and the threat of violence. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, watching it as a country, it was for most of us as well. We did not know exactly what we were dealing with or how widespread it was or how violent it was. so, you know, I've said this before, I think they made the right call, given everything that was happening at the time. Okay, listen, I want to move to a couple of other things, including an integrity complaint against John Tory. Uh, Tim Hudak, I'll turn to you first on this one. Um, John Tory is accused by a former school trustee of having made robocalls on Election Day, endorsing one of the candidates. And the complainant's complaint here is that John Tory didn't say, hi, it's John Tory. He said, hi. It's Mayor John Tory. Is that uh, sort of hair splitting or is that actually a serious enough uh, violation of the Integrity Act? Two of the Integrity Act, the sour grapes uh, clause, John. Uh, this is clearly a counselor who's miffed that uh, they didn't win uh, the election against uh, Gary Crawford. I think uh, a, uh, a mayor is in every um, has every right to endorse a candidate they see fit. There's some you know hair splitting on the words. I'm sure there's a fine for that sort of thing. But man, to make this a news story, this looks like somebody who thought they're going to win didn't, looking for somebody to lash out at. And I had an experience like this once when I was uh, MPP and I endorsed a regional councillor candidate. I did robocalls and oh, the whining from that candidate. Please, they're going to increase taxes and waste money. I think John Tory did the right thing. Okay, Mark I'm Warner. I'm not so sanguine. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Yeah, I'm going to turn to Mark Warner because uh, I know, Mark, you feel that on many occasions, John Tory kind of gets a free ride. Well, he does. I mean, the stick is, you know, I'm an honorable man, don't you know? <laughs> he gets in and he does this sort of stuff in this way. Um, and, and that's his thing. And it, it, it works for him. His work has got him his third term. Um, you know, whether it's an actual violation or not, I just don't know enough uh, about the Integrity Act uh, or, or what the punishment would be. Sometimes they can be fairly strict. Sometimes they can be a slap on the wrist. Um, you know, I'm sure that John, as someone who's been around politics for a long time and also as a lawyer and been around a fairly sophisticated lawyers would would understand how easy it would be to not describe himself as mayor if he had wanted to do that and have a bit more of a 
you know, they're not coming too close to crossing any lines. He's not a stupid man, and he clearly knows what he did. And now he'll do the "I'm an honorable man" shtick, which I guess works for some people. Okay, last word to Laura Babcock. And what Mark says, you know, he's he is absolutely right. I don't think anybody would pick up the phone and it would be, "Hi, it's John Tory," and they go, "Is it the mayor, John Tory?" Yeah, you know, this. The, I'll tell you why I'm not sanguine about this. Is there's. Um, if we, what's the point of having these election rules, of having these play fair everybody rules, if you can break them and there's like no consequence and we have to hear things like, oh, sour grapes. There is a, a counselor in Hamilton who ran a robocall from the current mayor saying he had, well, or saying he had the endorsement of the current mayor, won the election by 79 votes, and then the mayor came out and said, no, nah, I never said I would endorse him. I said I'd think about it. And like nothing, right? So, I mean, if you're allowed to just make stuff up or overinterpret something, or run out with these robocalls and there's nothing, then what's to stop people from just doing whatever the hell they want to get elected? I, I find this offensive to democracy. If there's a rule, it should be enforced. If Tory did something wrong, then he should own up for it. I, I just There's no fairness if there's no accountability. Thank you all. Good to have you. Tim Hudak, Laura Babcock, and Mark Warner. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.